quickly goes for Isaiah chapter 46, verse 8. It says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling you a bird of prey from the east, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Father, we thank you for the written word today. Father, we thank you that the life that it brings, we thank you how it builds up the saints and this road of sanctification and father we thank you most importantly for your grace and your mercy for sending your spirit to dwell on the inside of us to allow the blinders to be taken off so we can see what once was foolishness to us what what once didn't make sense to us now does so father as we journey through your word today and as we try our best, Father, with your grace to tap into, just touch the surface of your sovereignty and how you reign over all and rule over all, Father. Give us the ability to do that. Give your family, your church members here, your the believers that are here, ears to hear. And we thank you for that. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. So we're going to be covering the sovereignty of God. We're going over, remember, the doctrines of God. And we, we, we covered, um, which was very um, in-depth in learning. I learned a, a, a quite a few bullet points when we covered the Trinity, enough to where we, a couple of weeks worth. And in reality, we barely even began to touch the surface of that. Then we attempt to tackle holiness of God. And now we're going to attempt to tackle the sovereignty of God. And understand that these, especially on Wednesday night, um, we, we're we not going to, uh, as you all I'm sure know, maybe you don't, we're not going to get the sovereignty of God here in, in 30 minutes. Um, but this is at least a starting point and maybe an add-on to what you've already known, what you've already studied, and what you've already learned yourself. This is to help implement that or to help highlight that, uh, heighten what you've already learned. And if you haven't, at least it's a starting point. So take some of these scriptures home, follow through with it. And there, there is a lot more because I say this because as I was going through this chapter that we're covering, um, there's just a subject that we could have spent a while on. So um, I want to encourage you to do that. Spend some time. Use this as a good kickoff point for, for your study when it comes to the sovereignty of God. But when we read here in the book of Isaiah, it tells us about the sovereignty of God. And it basically tells us that God pleases and does what He, what he does and pleases to do. Um, not only as He pleases, but He always does as he pleases god does what he does and he doesn't need any outside um coaching doesn't need any outside influence to to deter him or deter him from here or not to do what he does um god sovereignly chooses to do his own sovereign will in every aspect of 
this world as we know it. So there is nothing that, that can prevent or hinder God. It can't, there's nothing that can change the will of God. And, and that sounds very basic and very simple, and, and I believe mo- the majority of us understand that and can, can agree to that. But maybe if you've come from a background um, where the root of the teaching of faith is that we can somehow manipulate God or push God to do something. If we just pray loud enough, pray in our war tongue or whatever the, the case may be, that we can somehow um, convince God or prevent God or change God's plan in some way. And that's not going to happen. And I think we're pretty solid here that we can all agree upon that. But we want to just touch on a few things here. And first, first and most importantly, we want to try to look at God's sovereignty. We want to try to define it, define it the best we can here tonight. And as I said, follow up with this, please. Um, we're just going to hit a few highlights. We're going to miss a lot. But I believe it's a good starting point for all of us here. So number one, God's sovereign sovereignty defined. And we want to look at first, God's sovereignty may be defined as the exercise of His supremacy. The God exercising His supremacy in and of Himself contains, God contains the ultimate source, so to say, or power and authority over everything that exists. God contains the ultimate source of all that, of power, authority, and, and over everything that is created. Anything that is anything that is created is anything that is not God is created. If I can just say it like that, He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the reign, the King, the supreme, the all sovereign one over heaven and over earth. Our God, as you you can probably already know, just if you've done any kind of reading in the Word here, you probably already know that God is subject to no one. God is subject to none and he's influenced by no one. That's, there's a lot of explaining to do there because I know there may be some questions. Can't we influence God with petitions? We want to, and, and these are some of the things that, I, that I'm saying that we need to, we're not going to get all this in 30 minutes, but we'll get a starting point, take some notes, do the follow-up and, and answer some of these questions that may come up in your mind as we go through this. But God is subject to no one. God is influenced by no one. He's absolutely independent in and of himself. Amen. The sovereignty of God in and of himself is influenced and is not subject to anyone but himself. Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 says this. All the inhabitants of the, of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay in his hand and say to him, what have you done? God is sovereign over all. God's divine sovereignty simply means that He is on the throne of this universe. He is on the throne of this universe, directing all things and working all things. See, now, when you hear that, working all things, 
directing all things. What about the things that the world uses and is confused about? If God is the God, if God is real, why does he allow this and that to happen? Why does he allow the atrocities that this world can throw at people? Why does God, does, does God do those acts? He's controlling them. This is what I say. I hope to stimulate some of those thoughts so we can look into and understand the, the sovereignty and how it plays in the role of humans. And when it plays in the roles of what happens here on earth. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says this. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Works all things according to the counsel of his will. Charles Spurgeon commented on the sovereignty of God, and he made this comment concerning this very subject. He said, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. There is, there is no other attribute more comforting. Now, you've got a real context of what caused him to make that statement. But it's very simply this. When you understand the sovereignty of God and God in control and on his throne as a sovereign Lord that he is, whenever you experience um, life's most traumatic trials, which, you know, they come and go. Some of you may be in them now. Some of you just may get out of them. There's probably one right around the corner for you. But when you experience these, these turmoils of life uh, that, that life can throw at you, we got to understand that God's sovereignty, His control, he, he has even ordained those afflictions. Ordained. The troubles and the trials and the turmoils God has ordained those. And when you understand this, that it's His sovereignty overrules all of the madness that you may be seeing in front of you. When you understand and truly believe that God is sovereign even over those, when you're sure of this, it is very comforting to know that he that when we know this then we it must be that somehow some way i'm going to be sanctified through this process there's some things that life can throw at you that it you can't see any kind of way that you're going to benefit from that but this is the sovereign lord that we serve and we got to know this. Look at another, another point I want to look at here. Man's struggles with God's attribute of sovereignty. Man's struggles with God's attributes of sovereignty. Man struggles with this. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say this. Even um, the majority of what people who claim to be Christians... 
And I'm not saying they are or not, but it's probably without, without in, uh, enough knowledge to understand God's sovereignty. But man has a struggle with this attribute. Men, see, that men will allow God to be everywhere except on His throne of sovereignty. What do you mean? People will allow God to be on His, his throne as Creator. They don't have a pro- too much of a problem with that. Okay, yeah, they'll allow him to be on his throne of, uh, as creator. They'll allow him to be on his throne as sustainer of, of this universe. They, they, they don't have too much of a problem. They don't have too much of a problem of putting him on his throne as ru- ruler over the heavens and over the earth. Okay, they can, they can pretty much accept that. But when it comes to his sovereignty over our lives, then there's a problem. Then there's some confusion that goes on. Mankind has a problem when it comes to God's right to do what He wills with mankind. We don't, we can't comprehend that. We, we have a problem with that. That how, how God has a right to will whatever He wants to will with mankind. And the problem is, Without man's consent. Without the consent or even the, the consultation of his creation. Without checking with the individual. But God has sovereign power over all of his creation. In any manner that he seems fit. People have a problem with that. Even when it comes to, and this is something that you're going to have to follow up on your own, especially, not even, especially when it comes to the, the process of salvation. We, it's, it's just in us, and it carries over into Christianity that we want to feel like we've done something. We have trouble thinking that, you know, it was me that, you know, and, and that's just the way this human nature is, right? We, we want to feel like we've done something. We want to feel that we've played a part in it. But you've got to understand that God has sovereign authority even over your own life. It, and we're going to try to balance some of these things out. So this, this brings us to another point we want to examine Another point we want to examine here is a human responsibility and divine sovereignty. Because that's really the big question. We can all agree that God is sovereign over the events of the elements. If it's going to rain tonight, we don't have an issue with understanding that God is in control of that. We don't have, uh, we don't, we don't have problem with, with God create, you know, doing all this other stuff that, that, that we, we are alright with. But when it comes to man's responsibility there's people that that because of a lack of understanding they have a problem with it so we want to look at that so there are those that there are those that say that the sovereignty the sovereignty of god to say that god is sovereign over mankind to say that 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 somehow excludes human responsibility to say that God is sovereign over your life in, to the point of directing it, 
then that must mean that we're some type of mimicking robot that's pre-programmed and we really don't have a say so in what we do. So therefore, there's where's the responsibility of man? I can just I'm not responsible for my actions anyway, because God is sovereignly dictating my actions. That is not the case. Let's look at something here. Psalms 115.3. It says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God does all that He pleases. Now, let me... That's even in your own life. God does all that He wills. God will do all that He pleases. Our Lord chooses to place each one of His creatures on a particular footing on this earth. He chooses to put His creation on a particular footing and considers it good in His sight. Listen, let me let me break this down and what we're covering here and Pink was was touching on this subject and let me break it down a little bit. When I say that God chooses to place all of his creatures on a particular footing, what do you mean? God created the angels, we can all agree with that, right? And in doing so, when he created the angels in the heavenlies, he placed some of them on what A.W. Pink explains in his book on a conditional footing. Okay, he created some of the angels and placed them on a conditional footing, a conditional foundation, if I can reword it like that. What that means is they're subject to conditions. He created these angels that were going to be subject to conditions that God was sovereign over. These angels that were subject to conditions sinned. Even though God wasn't the author of that sin or that rebellion, they sinned. Why was that? Let's look, Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 4. It says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. God did not spare the angels when they sinned. There was Angels that he created, that he placed on a conditional footing, meaning that they were subject to the conditions that God was sovereign over. These were the angels that sinned. There was, there were more angels than those that fell. We know that and we see it in scripture. We've heard about it. We've heard people teach on it, preach on it. And there were other angels that God also created. Pink explains in his book as this, as these ones that were being created as they were created on unconditional footing. They were created and put on unconditional footing. They, these ones were not subject to any conditions. Okay, now bear with me because as we go through this, um, we hope to clear some of this up. 
Conditional footing, unconditional footing. Conditional footing, they were subject to conditions that we know that God is sovereign over, and these angels sinned. God placed others that were on, in unconditional footing. They weren't subject to the conditions. They were placed there as God willed them to be. So these angels that were unconditional footing that God ordained to be as he willed them to be did not sin. Because God created them with an immutable uh, standing before him, an unchangeable standing before him. He created them and willed that they do what they did. And that was unchangeable because it wasn't God's will that they were that they would fall prey to other conditions, if I could say it like that. Look at First Timothy. Some of y'all look at me like, "What?" Okay, we're clear. <laughs> Tell me, I was trying to struggle. I was wrestling with pink for a little bit, but First Timothy chapter five, verse twenty-one. It says, "In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and listen here, and of the elect angels." Hmm, that's exactly right. And of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without uh, prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Now, he makes a mention there. You've got to study it out and see why the English Standard Version, rightfully so, uses the word elect. These were elect angels. These were angels that were set for a purpose that God sovereignly chose to do. These were the angels that God placed on an unconditional footing. They were not going to be subject to other conditions that would cause them to sin. They did and performed and existed exactly as God willed. The angels that sin were as much His creations as the ones that didn't sin. It's not like one was his favorite and one was it. They, they were both his creation. But they were placed in, in different circumstances as God willed. For the ones that did not sin, or for the ones that did sin, so to say, that were placed in a conditional footing, the ones that fell that we read about, the ones that sinned that we read from the Scripture, those ones, it was God that appointed that they would fall. It was the sovereign will of God that these angels fail. And how how was this doing? Did God course them and make them rebel? This is the great mystery that we've got to accept what the Word of God's here. He, he, He predestined, He appointed, He sovereignly appointed them to fall by placing them what was known as a mutable or a changeable creature in a conditional footing. It was the condition in which He created and placed them. Now, I know that's, that may be a lot. Maybe you're getting it. Maybe you're like me. I had to go over and over and over it again and read the Scripture to fully understand this. But we got to know that these angels that fell, it was all part of God's sovereign will. It's not like He stood back and, and prayed for the best that they wouldn't. Because God, as we know, as we read a couple of verses, God does as He wills. Period. The sovereignty of our Lord. The sovereignty of God. And in the same way that He did with these angels that He created, 
God sovereignly, in the same way when he created Adam. God sovereignly placed Adam in a garden and he placed him upon what we know, what Pink describes as conditional footing. Just like the angels that fell were subject to the conditions, this is the same condition that God planted Adam in the garden. We'll get somewhere here in a minute. So we know that I'm telling you that God placed Adam in a conditional on a conditional footing, subject to conditions. The condition that he was subject to was simply obedience to his maker. He was subject to the obedience to God. You see, think about this. Don't you know, and, and I'm sure we all would agree, let me get you thinking a little bit here. Don't you know that God could have simply placed Adam upon an unconditional footing, meaning that he wasn't subject to any condition. God could have simply have just put him there. And uh, just like the angels that didn't fall, how God placed them sovereignly and had them sovereignly at his will do what they did, they didn't fall. God could have done the same with, with Adam. But God sovereignly willed that he put him in this conditional footing where he was subject to the condition of obeying his God. Could have done this, but instead we know in Scripture and we're going to be going over it in the book of Genesis. God chose to set Adam in, in this Garden of Eden, as we, as we know and read, on a footing of creaturely responsibility. It's known as creature responsibility. Adam had a responsibility. He sovereignly, purposely set Adam in this condition. What Adam did, he stood accountable. Adam was in a position where God placed him that he was accountable to God by the law which his creator had given him. God puts man in the garden and he gives him a rule. And I'm, kind of, I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing this. Pastor's going to cover this, I'm sure. You know, you can, basically, you can have all that you want, Adam. This is all yours. You just can't have this right here. And it's, it's been the same ever since, right? You know how we are. If we were to put a, a sign, especially the little ones, wet paint, what's the first thing we're going to do? We're going to see if it's, is it dry yet? <laughs> you know, you can be tapping on. It's just the way we are. 55, we're going to go 60. I'm giving myself up. God could have very easily put Adam in this condition, but he set, he set him in a, in a conditional footing. And the condition was that he, he told him you could do anything you want, but this is, you got to stay away from this. This was Adam's responsibility to obey his creator. So we need to know and we need to understand something that we need to realize, first of all, that 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 Adam's responsibility at that at that initial point where God set him in the garden, set him in what we're calling uh, a conditional footing. When he set him in the garden, Adam's responsibility at first, remember, was unaffected by sin. Initially, it was unaffected by sin. So. 
what I'm, what we're basically saying there, it was a responsibility that Adam had on him. And it wasn't unfair that God put him in that conditional footing. Because in reality was, the responsibility that Adam had to obey his God was under the most favorable conditions that could ever be. He really had no reason not to obey his God. It wasn't nothing like after the fall where sin was injected into man's spirit or soul. Uh, he, he was, it was the most favorable conditions. So it wasn't God, but God, but nevertheless, God did place him in that type of condition with the responsibility to obey his God. It was very simple. Should have been very easy if I could sound. It's easy for me to say because here I am years later. But nevertheless, he was he had the most favorable conditions working on his side to obey his God. So because Adam was placed on a conditional footing. And remember, the condition was what was the condition? The condition was that he was to remain obedient to the sovereign God that created him. That was the condition. He failed. He failed to measure up to his responsibility. He failed. God placed him, made everything, provided everything for him. But remember, he was placed in a conditional environment, a conditional footing that he could be affected by the conditions around him. And he was. He failed. One way that will help some of us to get a better grasp on the sovereignty of our Lord, one way to do that is to understand that God did not place Adam in that condition, in that conditional environment, in that conditional footing. God did not do that because it was the right thing to do. Talking about His sovereignty. Follow with me. I'm going to go real slow on this. He didn't place him in that condition because that's the right thing to do. We're, this, this, is, this is the right thing to do here. I'm going to place him in this condition because this is what I should do. What made that right was that God sovereignly chose to do so in the first place. God, okay, what do you mean, John? You're confusing me. John, uh, John, God didn't place him there because it was right. It was right because God did place him there. You're going to take that home a little bit. You're going to have to chew on that just a little bit more. So tuck that away. As your pops used to say, put it on that Rolodex in your head there and store it and you'll roll over to it later. So God made it. It was right because God sovereignly chose to place Adam in the condition that he did. Simple as that. Our triune God that we serve, if you really think about it, really wasn't even under no obligation to even create Adam to begin with. Because we've heard the argument and we've heard people say that that was totally unfair. Why did God put him in that type of condition, that conditional footing? It, the reality of it isn't that. The reality is God was under no obligation to even create him to begin with. God wasn't lonely. God didn't need company. God didn't need Adam. God, he, he, he had no, he was under no obligation to do so. Nor did create him. He didn't even create Adam 
because it was the right thing to do. That's not why he created Adam, because he says, you know what, it's right that I do this. No, it was right because God chose to do it. God, his sovereign will, wanted to do it and he did it and that made it right. We covered some of this on the holiness of God and how everything that proceeds from God and comes from God is good. Is right. God's sovereignty means that that he's not under any law or any obligation that we can even call right. He, it's not like he's, he had to follow some type of ordinance or law to make things right. Whatever he does is right. His sovereignty makes him a law unto himself. God is a law unto himself. And whatever he chooses to do is right. Whatever God wills to do is right. The sovereignty of our Lord. The Bible teaches us that when it comes to, to, to uh, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, it talks about woe to those who call God's sovereignty into question. Woe, it just doesn't warn. We, we, I think we probably hit on it when we covered um, Habakkuk to understand what that woe is. Um, that woe was, was a definite meaning. And anytime God puts a woe over a people, there was destruction. So God gives us a woe to those that question his authority, that question his sovereignty. Look at Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9. It says, woe to him who strives with him, who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Look, look, at, look at Job 38. We covered this when Pastor covered, covered Job, chapter, Job chapter 38, verse 4 and 6. It says, when, when, he's answers, when, he ans- when he's answering Job, he says, he tells Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Verse 6. On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Who are you to even question what I'm doing? It was God's sovereignty at work that placed the angels where he placed him. It was God's sovereignty at work that placed Adam exactly where he placed him, in the condition that he placed him. It was even God's sovereign work in placing Satan and creating Satan in where he placed him. It was God's sovereign work in all of these in their particular responsibilities and positions that God sovereignly willed for them to be. And with that saying, that even includes us and all of his creation. It's God's sovereign work that he's planted you where you're at. It's God's sovereign work that he saved you as he saved you and rescued you as he rescued you. It is God's sovereign will. It would be 
To under, properly understand sovereignty, and this is something you're going to have to take a note down and follow up because you're not going to, there's a lot to it, but it, when you begin to tap into sovereignty and begin to understand it, um, it would be far from what we know of the sovereignty of God if God were to take away the responsibility from the creature. <laughs> if God were to take the responsibility away from the creature, that is far from His sovereignty in His life. Now, I'm going to say you're going to have to do a little bit of follow. There'll be some scriptures that wrote them on that sheet there, and you can follow up with it. Because it's, it was by virtue of His sovereignty. It was by virtue of His sovereignty that He placed some under such responsibilities as He held proper. He placed some under these certain responsibilities that he saw proper. It was his sovereign will that he placed man the way he placed them. It was the sovereign will that man have a responsibility as man has. It's all part of his working. And we may not, it's too grand to see the big picture to make sense. But God placed man and his responsibility, he is sovereign over that. And in control of that. You've got to know that. We see a perfect condition or a perfect coordination that we see between the sovereign work of God and the responsibility of the creature. We see a perfect coalition of that. We see both truths there where man has a responsibility and God is still sovereign. Now, that may not make a lot of sense, but that's okay. They, that may confuse you, but that's all right. I don't, I know I don't, I don't, I may not expect, I don't even get, I may not expect everyone to understand that. How, what do you mean? Responsibility, but yet God is sovereign. Yet that's exactly what the Word teaches us. You have a responsibility that God has placed you in, and God is still sovereign over your life. The mysteries of the God we serve, right? Some believers have, just because of lack of knowledge, unknowingly said that, that it, it is quite difficult to, to show where God's divine sovereignty ends and man's accountability for himself begins. It's kind of difficult. Where, okay... Where does the sovereignty of God end in a person's life or limited or where's the boundary to where it rolls over to man's accountability for his own actions? Huh. It's really simple. When you begin to understand the sovereignty of God, it's really simple. Human responsibility begins in the sovereign will of his creator. Human responsibility, human accountability begins where? At the sovereign will of our Creator. Write that down. Take that home. You're going to have to study this out a little bit more than what we're doing here tonight. And as far as God's sovereignty being bordered in our life or ending or where's the line drawn, there is no line. God's sovereignty never ends in our life. There is no border. There is no transition. 
the mysteries of God. This simply, there's no end to the sovereignty of God in our lives. This, because of the looks, you know, deer in the headlight that I saw from a few of you, um, let's just go a little bit more for clarity here when it comes to the responsibility of the creature, when it comes to the responsibility of mankind being based on God's sovereignty. Let's, let's try to give this a little bit more clarity to help you and give you some bullet points to follow up on. Let's look at it this way. Talk about human accountability, man's sovereignty, human responsibility, the sovereignty of God. Genesis chapters 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. So, this is God giving Adam the authority to eat of every tree in the garden. This is God doing that. Here's Adam in the garden eating of all the trees of the garden. What? Okay. It was his will that he does that. It was his, it was his responsibility that, okay, he was doing it. But what gave him the right to do that? What gave him the right to do what he did from his own choice there was the fact that God ordained it and God told him, God ordered him, you can eat of every tree. Amen. That's where, this is what we're saying, where man's responsibility starts. It starts in the sovereign will of God. It starts in the sovereign will of God. Adam had a responsibility to eat anything that he wanted from the garden, excluding this. Where did that, where did that responsibility come from? Where did that accountability come from? It came from the sovereign will of God. The only right that Adam had in that garden was the permission that was granted to him by his creator. That was the only right, that was the only thing that he had in that garden was what was granted to him by the Father. The same goes for plenty more examples that we see throughout history. And one of the ones that we like to hit on, because it kind of rolls a lot of it up into one, and we know the story of Pharaoh. What gave Pharaoh the right to enslave God's people? What gave him the right to do that? He... he did what he wanted to do. God Did God want his people enslaved? Was God sovereign over that? We can, you know, was it Pharaoh that, that gave him the right? Was it, his, was it his own power that gave him the ability to enslave the people of God like he did? Of, of course not. We know that. We know that it was only by the permission of our sovereign Lord We know it was only by the sovereign will of our father that allowed Pharaoh to do what he did and placed Pharaoh in that conditional footing that he was subject to the conditions around him. And so to say, Pharaoh was more or less just a pawn in God's sovereign hand. He was a pawn in God's sovereign hand. We think that Pharaoh might have thought that he was all high and mighty and who's this God that you serve? I, you ain't going nowhere. I'm keep, I don't care what your God says. I'm keeping you. That was all by the sovereign will of God. Amen. What gave Saul in the Old Testament the right and the ability to destroy Amalek like he did? 1 Samuel 15 verse 3 says, now go and strike Amalek and 
devote to the destruction of all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. The only right that this man had was what God had summoned him to do. God had summoned him to do. That was the only ability and only right that he had to do concerning that pivotal point in history was what God had sovereignly ordained him to do. Sovereignly allowed him to do. We can go on and on with, with, with example after example after example. So just understand that human responsibility is based on God's divine sovereignty is based on God's divine sovereignty. We see God's divine sovereignty as He placed us. We see the sovereignty of God in those that are called His own. We see His sovereignty working in those that He calls His elect. We see in sovereignty. We see the elect, which is His children, which is those that call that, that, that He calls His own here today. We see that God has placed the elect just as the elect angels. What that means is God has placed the elect in an unconditional footing. God has placed the elect in an unconditional footing. Jesus Christ was appointed as our head. Jesus Christ was appointed, was appointed as our king in this everlasting covenant. And he took our conditional responsibilities upon himself when it comes to salvation. The conditional responsibilities that were needed for salvation were placed upon him. And by doing so, by placing those conditional responsibilities, those conditional responsibilities of his elect upon him, by doing so... He produced a righteousness, a righteousness for us which is perfect and internal in Him. It's internal in Him. It was the sovereignty of our triune God. The sovereignty and the triune God's will that appointed the Son. It was the sovereignty and the sovereign love that sent the Son. And it was the sovereign authority that assigned the Son to His work. God is sovereign over all, sovereign, sovereign over the heavens, sovereign over the earth, and even sovereign over our own lives. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you're the ultimate source of all power and authority over everything that exists. Everything that is seen and everything that is not seen. You're the ultimate source of authority, ultimate source of power, ultimate source of sovereignty itself. And it's only the triune God that we serve here that we can make these claims about. That's why you're a holy God. You're a set-apart God. You're, you're not like any other of your creatures. You're far beyond 
your creation. Therefore, Father, it's your sovereignty that makes you superior. It's your holiness that makes you so great, so glorious, above anything else that might try to call itself God. And it's that superiority, it's that sovereignty, it's that holiness, Father, that makes you and you alone, Father, worthy of worship and worthy of honor tonight. We want to close with Romans chapter 9, verse 18. And this is one of the highest, this is one of the grandest, this is one of the glorious displays of the absolute sovereignty of our God. And it says this, So then, He has mercy on whoever whoever He wills, and He hardens whoever He wills. Father, we thank You for that. And we thank You for Your sovereignty. Amen and amen.